0: <laughs> Welcome back at WNST, Towson, Baltimore, and Baltimore positive. We are uh, positively almost into baseball. Se- maybe it is baseball season. I don't know when spring training begins and people are bitching about the games not being on. on it. <laughs> For the franchise that owns a television network specifically designed to show us baseball games. Uh, we talk about this each and every year, and I don't know that it's ever going to change, but lo and behold, we did have basketball, uh, you know, so the Terps put their games on. I remember when the Terps, you could never watch Terps games back in the Raycom era, uh, the Jefferson pilot era and all that with big 10 network. Now we got plenty of basketball, right? So for the lack of excitement, we might have of games on the field. Although the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes or its own drama unto itself, Luke. Um, This has been three years ago. We were doing plague talk around this time, right? And then two years ago was plague talk around this time. This feels like old times again. You know, they're rocking down at college park and the Orioles are hitting baseballs with cross our fingers. Some promise to be a playoff team this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's lots of excitement. I mean, I, I think for the Orioles, they're still, a sense of it's it's a little ways away, right? We're still a month out from opening day and not being able to watch the games on TV, as you mentioned, although uh, maybe the silver lining is, you know, at least our RSN's not going away as it is literally for, for other teams right now as you're seeing that model completely collapse. But uh, as it pertains to the Terps, and you and I talked about Maryland early in the season when they got off to the great uh, non-conference schedule start. And and then we saw the law in December, you know, they hit some bumps in the road. Uh, We've certainly seen them have their struggles on the road, which has continued, you know, (laughs) as much as you look at Maryland and, you know, after Sunday's win against Northwestern, I mean, they're 11 and seven in the conference, tied for second place, you know, uh, uh, right on the heels of Purdue and uh, a lock for the NCAA tournament. They haven't been good away from College Park, and that's what's interesting about this final week of the season. They have an opportunity now, albeit not against great teams, but an opportunity to go on the road uh, against an Ohio State team that is not good. And then uh, finish up the regular season against Penn State, who is desperate for wins after a, a, a Bad loss for them over the weekend against Rutgers, as it pertains to their NCAA tournament hopes. It's a chance to win a couple games away from College Park. Understanding you're not going to be playing in the NCAA tournament in College Park, and no, it's not road game. It's not a road game, but neutral site games be a, a good opportunity for Maryland to finish on a high note here. So much excitement. I mean, let's face it. Let's be clear. Uh, before I went into talking about. You know, winning on the road and and, and all, all that pertains. I mean, Kevin Willard's just done a fantastic job with this basketball team. And when you consider where Maryland was at the beginning of the year, and you know, talking about guys you know, transferring in and what what this is gonna mean for the program and you know, can they get to new heights? And I can remember so many different media types and fan types, you know, people whose opinions I respect, who really talked about Be careful what you wish for. Maryland had it so good under Mark Turgeon, which I didn't buy, but people at least made that argument that there was a high floor. And you look at what Kevin Willard's done in year one, understanding that still hasn't fully, you know, this still isn't fully his team in terms of recruiting classes and all the different things and figuring out NIL and and all of that and the transfer portal and everything that has changed the landscape of college basketball it's been a fun, it's been a fun season. And, and I mean, this is a, a basketball team that's good uh, and uh, it's interesting and it's exciting. And, and as you pointed out, uh, when you see some of these, you know, whether you've been down to college park or whether you've just watched it on TV, I mean, it's been a special atmosphere. It's felt like the old days a little bit. And as you mentioned,
0: I don't want to. They're make playing it sound the like old songs. Bad. They're playing the old. They're playing the classics. They're playing they're Sweet Caroline is what they're doing. Oh, right? Playing Rock
1: and Roll Part Two <laughs> and you know uh, the Hey You Suck <laughs> and, you know that whole thing which you know had gone away. But it's just fun and it's exciting and it feels like it's a place to be again. And I want to be clear. It wasn't all bad under Mark Turgeon. And and as you mentioned, right before the world shut down three years ago, this was a Maryland team that looked very interesting going into the NCAA tournament in terms of saying they would have made it to the third weekend or anything crazy, but they weren't bad. But this is, this feels like such an exciting and promising jumping off point for Kevin Willard and this program. And for those Maryland fans who have dreamed in recent years and pushed back against the idea that Mark Turgeon was the best that Maryland could do, and to stop thinking about 20 years ago, and Gary Williams in the Final Four in Atlanta, and Juan Dixon. This is a a fun, exciting, promising first year under Kevin Willard that I don't know how, how far it's going to go. I, I think this team has the chance to get to the second weekend. I, I don't know if it's going to be beyond that because Sunday aside, you know, I don't know if they shoot well enough from outside and, and they have enough depth to, to make a deep run in March. But There's a part there, of me that thinks if they get into a
0: weird gym, It's it, it, they don't do well outside their own gym. And that's not atypical yeah. 19-year-old men, right? I mean, literally. And I think we've seen over the history of the game, when they put the games in the blimps, nobody shoots well. When you don't shoot well in odd places, it makes it really kind of hard to win in March. It does. It really, if you're not that team, because you're going to go into buildings and at two in the afternoon, it's going to be empty. It's going to be weird. There's there's going to be a cheer section for you, depending on where you play. But if you're playing in Spokane, not right. So there's, they don't do that as much anymore. They try to make it so fans can come. But everything about the March games, and you've been to them. They're really weird. They're really, really, they feel different. And the game feels different in your building when everybody's yelling, you suck, in the same way that when you're playing in Duke and they're throwing condoms and hitting you in the head and telling you, you suck.
1: Yeah. Right? And, and, and let's be clear. We're not picking on Maryland being, you know, being a, a bad road team here as much as look at the entire Big Ten. I mean, that's just how it works. Right. Other than Purdue. Northwestern, you know, uh, Sunday uh, aside, Northwestern's been pretty good on the road. Beyond that, I mean, you're talking about accomplished teams like Indiana. You know, they they're five and seven on the road this year. You know, counting some, you know, non-conference. You know, Maryland's ten and zero at home, and and they're one and seven on the road going into this final week. I mean, it's you know, go down the list. I mean, Michigan three and five, Iowa three and seven, Illinois three and six. I mean, none of these teams, uh, and and. Of course, when I list out those uh, those road records, it's almost all conference games. It just speaks to how competitive and difficult this conference is. Now, how does that translate to getting into neutral site, which is not the same as playing on the road, but of course, it's not the same as playing in the friendly confines of Xfinity Center and, and, and College Park. So, how do they adapt to that? You know, we'll see. And that's the same question that any team uh, you're, you're asking of right now, whether you're talking about a team that's you know in the top 5 with final four you know uh, aspirations or uh, a team that maryland like maryland who's comfortably in the tournament field but you're you're playing for seeding and you're you're seeing how far you can go you're you're hoping that you get the right draw you've got a chance to make it to the second weekend and i i think this team does so i mean what more can you ask for when you're talking about where we were talking about this team going into the season with kevin willard understanding where they were, you know, some a few holdovers from the Mark Turgeon era, but let's face it, you know, the cupboard wasn't exactly, uh, it's not as though they were overflowing with talent uh, and, and that had been well chronicled over the last few years with recruiting and how much work was being done there. But, you know, I mean, Jameer Young's been uh, a godsend. He's been so good for this team and he's been so fun to watch. And, and
0: local uh, in yeah, a way no that, question. That, that always is different. Oh, no doubt. No no doubt. 40 years later, it's different because Bias was a kid from down the street. I mean, it just is. I mean,
1: yeah, you want you want some local kids. And we've talked about, I mean, that was a big criticism of Gary Williams at different points in time, not being able to keep the best of the best of the local kids. And look, you're always going to have some local kids who want to go to. Dude, away. that was Lefty's anyway, original but...
0: sin, right? The original yeah. sin is that Wingate and Ross and all these guys sure. w- went elsewhere. Muggsy, they yes. all played somewhere else. If all those guys were in Maryland, Lefty would have won a championship. He would have given Michael Jordan hell, right, during that era. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, so that that's always part of the narrative. That's always going to be part of part of it. And you're not going to keep everyone, but you want to be able to keep some of them. Right. You want, you want kids to, keep to
0: at least want to go there. You, no you know, question. They, that's all. Even if they choose, choose to go to Wake Forest or choose to go wherever they go. You want them to say, I would at least consider playing at Maryland. I'm, I'm not anti the coach or anti the institution or, you know, anti the conference or, you know, whatever that would be. For a 17-year-old kid in 2024, I'm talking about, and especially with the NIL and the Under Armour money, that you really do have visions of sugar plums to some degree seeing it get off to this kind of a start because you're thinking to yourself, I like this guy. I mean, I've I've met him once, seen him speak, I watch him on the television, I haven't done press conferences or any of that stuff. You know, he seems like a guy that would be a good enough guy to come on my show and hang out for an hour and talk and be an interesting human. He's a light that would draw me there where Turgeon was always disinterested in everything, and I coached Bino. You know what I mean? Like, Turgeon never cared much to put down a flag in Baltimore or whatever. It feels like Willard's on his way here to earning the confidence of guys like me that have Buck Williams stuff in my closet.
1: Well, how about the fact that they come off this huge win over Northwestern on Sunday, you know, one of their most complete performances of the season. And then just a few hours later, he's downtown watching the high school championships. Uh, I mean, that 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 says something, right? You know, uh, I, And I'm not saying there aren't other coaches who do that in their respective markets or regions, but he, a few hours after a win where he could have felt and should have felt really good uh, about what they did against Northwestern. He's watching high school kids down at the arena, you know, uh, downtown recruiting it, watching, being there, being present. Those kids that are playing and playing for championships and and all that. Coach, watch me play.
0: I saw they're looking
1: over and they see Kevin Willard sitting in the front row behind. I think he was sitting behind the basket. I wasn't there. I'm just you know going off of social media and all that, but that says something. And for me, it's not to say that Kevin Willard's going to make this a perennial final four contender or can we be the UCLA of the
0: east finally
1: you, you know I, I don't know <laughs> if it's going to be that but he has aspirations to be that whereas mark turgeon and i don't want to pick on him too much cuz it's it's in the past i mean the guy's gone now you know there, there's no point in continuing to dwell on it but for me the thing that constantly rubbed me the wrong way and i'm not even saying this as much as covering that you know I I was down there sporadically this is talking more as just sitting back as a longtime Maryland basketball fan was just felt like there was too much of a sense of self self satisfaction that that what he was doing was good enough and you know you just you don't want that i mean lefty was before my time but Having grown up, watch Gary Williams and seeing where this team was, you know, where this program was in the early 90s and how Gary was not satisfied and just kept pushing and working and grinding and seeing what they did when they finally, you know, you kept, you capture lightning in a bottle when you get Juan Dixon and Lonnie Baxter and Chris Wilcox and going through the entire by list of guys way, that they by had. By the way, you always go to
0: Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. It's in Minneapolis too. There was the I mean I don't we don't want to think about that. I was at Petonia station yeah. and I I have tried to forget about that, but it wasn't some one time stop and some sure thing that happened. And I don't look, I was down in Knoxville with Stevie Francis, right? I mean, I was there for some bad endings. Uh, I wasn't there for Rex Chapman, but I remember it. I was in Robert DeBee's basement watching that. I mean, I I go back to all of these disappointments and sleepy Floyd and dude, I'm not just off the reservation. So if you're, if you're tuning in around here, I mean, I've got a long history with this, as well as having to run around half a college park to claim a press parking pass and parking somewhere in, you know, in Kensington, like crazy (laughs) stuff that I've endured in being a fan and in traveling around and in seeing Joe Smith, uh, you know, fall on his ass out in Oakland in 1995 from courtside where Jerry Rice was watching these guys play. So, I mean, I, I go back to all of this. It feels to me, and I'm an old guy, And I don't want to say I've given up on it or whatever, but I'm not as vested. Everybody that knows me knows I'm not as vested. If I were vested, I'd be sitting down there at this point. I have been disinvested um, by the humans that have been involved in this over the course of time and the distance, the age, all of that. But when I'm watching now and thinking. And seeing on my timeline, Greg Zapaniak taking his boy to the games, seeing people take their children to the games, and finding this fresh thing that was College Park for me, and sweat on the walls, and Mark Allery back when he had hair. I barely recognized him the other day. He looks like David Simon. Um, I've been watching a little college hoops, as you can tell, and this is invigorating to me to see the beginning of something that might be beautiful for people to have fun again, that there might be a Minneapolis for worst cases. And there might be an Atlanta on the other side of that. And there might be cutting down of nets and there might be like all that. And there might be a big 10 championship in the next couple weeks too. Right. I mean, there are things that could happen here for this team that they're good enough right now to beat when they shoot the way they shot the other day. And I don't know how they're going to do that right. in weird gyms, but when they shoot, well, they're, they're, they're going to beat teams. And I think to some point, Willard, after the game, talked about the big victories, the thirty and twenty point victories earlier in the year. I mean, they they cleaned the floor with a top twenty team, right? I mean, like literally, they beat a really good team, and they they beat them bad on Senior Day and made everybody feel good. That's what it's about. It's been a long time since everybody has felt good about the Terps, right? I mean, a long, long time.
1: Yeah, well, I, I and I think it's the the meeting of feeling good about it in the present because of, you know, we can talk about the future and promise and maybe getting back to a final four at some point, maybe being a national champion contending kind of squad, but don't
0: let that distract from, they're good right now. No, well, and that They're would be the great, Orioles last but... year, right? Same thing. Sure. Like, it, it, don't, don't wait for it. It's here. Like, right. it, it, it enjoy might not it. Be this good again. They might get to the eight in a couple. Of, I mean, it's possible that they could do that. And I think believing in that is half of Gary's teams we sort of like new, right? I mean, Turgeon only had one team that really had the talent and they didn't have the moxie, the Suleiman team. That was the, the diamond said that was the best team they had to be able to win a championship because of the, what you need to do to win six basketball games in March all over the country. Right? Like he didn't have the horses. I don't know that this team has the horses, but I also like look at the field and see how NIL's changed all of this for a lot of places. And I think because this team shoots well and because this team has a little bit of whatever that it factor, they like each other. They're fun. They're fun right here. And right now is fun. Like the Orioles were fun last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you just look at where they are right now. I mean, going into the season and I remember talking to some, I wasn't even on the radio. I was just talking to some people in my life that are Maryland basketball fans and, I flat out said that at the time, I thought if Kevin Willard can take this team to the NCAA tournament, and and, and it wasn't a ultimatum. It, it was more what would be a reasonable goal. And considering this this was not a team that was picked to finish very high in the Big Ten. I mean, you look at where they were, you know, a few players returning, but certainly no superstars. I mean, Jameer Young was a nice story being a local kid coming back, but you know, he's at Charlotte. I mean, it, what what are you going to get? You know, it's one thing playing at a mid-major or playing in a, in a lesser conference, and and saying, okay, how does that translate to the Big Ten? And you know, so my thought at the time was, if Kevin Willard can get this team to the NCAA tournament, which I didn't think was an impossible goal, but it was going to it was going to take some work. It was going to take some things falling their way. Then what a great way to start! Uh, I mean, just what a fantastic way to start! And for him to have now done this. I mean, they're going to be in the tournament, it's just going to be a matter of where where their seeding is going to be. I saw Bracketology from Joe Lunardi over the weekend uh, before Sunday's win had them as, I think, a seven seed playing Auburn or something like that. Uh, but, you know, you just look at that, and, and you can do that in the first year, and you see the improvement from someone like a Julian Reese, another local kid, who going into the season, I'll be honest, Nestor, and look, I'm not a basketball savant. I'm not like Mr expert X's and O's when it comes to basketball. Uh, but I wasn't sure he was a legitimate Big Ten big man. And look, he's he still has his times where he has some struggles, but you also see the flashes, and you've seen how well he's played down the stretch. And you know, it's exciting. You know, it, It's exciting to see guys improving. It's exciting to think about the possibility of some of these seniors who actually still have a year of eligibility left. Now, I'm not going to sit here and speculate and say that I know what they're going to do, but... The idea that the way that some of these guys have been able to thrive and blossom under Kevin Willard, whereas how many times did we see guys come through College Park under Mark Turgeon and kind of feel like they either didn't get any better or they would leave before they had a chance to get any better. You know, it just, it feels different uh, in that way. And that's not to say that you know, they've quote arrived. I mean, this is still a team that's flawed. They sh- They shot well on Sunday. Yes. But they don't consistently shoot well from the outside. I mean, defense has really been their calling card, and that's why they've had a chance so often, and that's why they've played so—you know—they've played so well overall. But you know, th- there's things that still have to go well for them, things that have to go right for them, and that's the case for most teams going into uh, the tournament. Talking about postseason at this point, as we're on the precipice of March, but the fact that we're even talking about this right now just speaks to how successful this first year has been. And it speaks to the potential for where they could go over the next few years, knowing that he's going to be bringing in his own recruits and he's going to do the things that are necessary. And as I mentioned, Sunday, just being an example of, you know, he's down there at the arena a few hours after winning a huge game, watching high school kids play for a championship. And, you know, that's, that means something to be present, to, 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 be in the community and, and to see these kids. And you know, that doesn't mean you're going to land every top recruit, but you're going to be in the mix for those guys. And then all it takes is landing the first one. And then the next guy, and then the guy after that, and then those guys having success and those guys going to NCAA tournaments and playing in the sweet 16. I mean, that's how well, he you build talked about the
0: kids having fun. I don't yeah. know that I, Gary ever talked about the kids having fun. Not even when they won, Gary was not fun. And Mark Churgeon well, was miserable most of the time. I, and, this guy seems to be like, you know, the you're going to have fun playing defense. And they are. Well, that's <laughs> the key. It's fun being disruptive to the other team. I know that.
1: It is. But he also said they have fun, but they work their tails off. And he said that they're having fun and that they're so tired because they play so hard that their natural talent shines through. And look, there's some coach speak involved there. I don't want to take that as though no, that's something unprecedented that Kevin Willard would say. But you really get the sense that these guys have bought in, and, and when you think about a Dante Scott, a uh, Hakeem Hart, guys that have been around, you know, guys that were Mark Turgeon guys, so to speak, you know, whether they loved everything about Mark Turgeon or not, they were Turgeon guys, and to see them buy in and to succeed in the way that they're succeeding now, and to see this mix of you know other transfers and using the portal and all of that. To, to put this thing together and to have a team that's in second place in the big 10 entering the final week, uh, is it's going to be in the top four, you know, barring, you know, they need to take care of business. That's why I said these two road games, you know, you better beat Ohio state and that's going to be a desperate Penn state team. That's uh, again, coming off of a bad loss uh, against Rutgers on Sunday evening. Uh, but that's a team that, you know, they've, they've had some rock fights with Penn state uh, in recent years and we've seen uh, some ugliness and, in, and in some games where they've gone up to, to, to state college and and it hasn't gone well. So, if they can take care of business and, and you know you win a couple games on the road this week, going into then the the Big Ten tournament and March and and the postseason, you know it's exciting. You know it, it you start to think about okay if they get the right draw, if they're in the right region, if they're playing in the right arena at the right time, and enough fans travel, you know that you know, I I I I wouldn't be stunned if you told me right now that. They could play in the second weekend, you know, beyond that. I don't know if they're good enough, but boy, again, compared to where they were last April, you know, when we're talking about, all right, Turgeon's gone and who are they hiring and what's this going to look like and who are they going to have on the team this year? And, you know, to be talking about them being a lock for the NCAA tournament as the calendar turns to March, I mean, it's really exciting. It's exciting for the present. And then you start to dream about what this could be over the next few years. And just to have those thoughts, as you mentioned, it was quite fleeting uh, in the Turgeon era. You had the, the Diamondstone-Suleiman team. And I do want to give a, a nod to Anthony Cowan and, and the team from 20 before Everything was canceled, you know, because they were a team that, you know, regular season champs, uh, and, and there was a thought that they could make a run. I wasn't convinced they were going to be a Final Four team or anything like that, but they were at least on the higher end of what we saw in Mark Turgeon's team. So, but beyond that, it was a lot of frustration. Even years where they made the tournament, you felt like they were fading at the end of the year. Whereas this has felt the opposite. You know, they went through their little. They they had a red hot start in non conference. Then they went through the lull and got blown out a couple times. And ooh, you're starting to wonder. But yeah, they found their footing in the Big Ten. At least playing at home. I mean, my goodness, 10 and 0, finding your footing. I mean, that's the understatement. But that's why I think this final week is such a, an interesting opportunity for them to not just get a couple more wins. and and be that two seed uh in the big 10 tournament but a chance to win a couple games away from college park which no you're not playing on the road in the postseason but it's neutral you know you're not you're not in the friendly confines and you don't have the crowd 100% behind you the way that they have so if you can do that that just makes you think even more about the possibility of if the chips fall right that you know not just making it but Win a game or two and make this uh, a wildly successful first season for Kevin Willard uh, and really have that arrow pointing up at the end of year one.
0: Lou Jones is uh, all things baseball, a little bit of basketball, and a whole lot of Lamar Jackson these days out at Baltimore Positive. You can also find him out on the Twitter thing, and if there's any breaking news anywhere along the lines, you'll get it first on the WNST Tech Service. Brought to you by Coons, Ford Security Boulevard, and, of course, Dennis will be here on Thursday from 3 until 5, driving you home, and again on Sunday. I am taking the Maryland Crab Cake Tour to Drug City in Dundalk. On Friday, the 3rd, then on the 8th, it'll be at Fadley's. I'm wearing my Fadley's gear right now. Man, I'm geared up for some crab cakes, the Maryland Crab Cake Tour presented by the Maryland Lottery, celebrating 50 years. I'm going to have uh, some really cool throwback scratch-offs to give away at Drug City this week, as well as at Fadley's next week. It's some great guest as well. And our friends at Window Nation, 866-90-NATION. Make sure you're uh, checking them out as well. I'll be wearing my Window Nation gear around here, the uh, buy one, get one free deal, all that stuff. Buy two, get two free. Excuse me. Uh, all the good stuff we're talking about 6690 nation all month long here at March. Um, Orioles, is there anything you want to say in the beginning of this? Because, I mean, we don't talk much, and it's sort of weird. Games aren't on, whatever. But the Lamar thing is just such a, you know, gorilla in the room. Like, you know, it's, it's the biggest story in sports right now. And then we have the Terps, which is a nice story, and that'll bake in the next couple of weeks. Orioles aren't yep. doing much for a month. But they're a little out of sight, out of mind, but they are doing right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, let's be clear. And we talked about this at length last week. And you know, I wrote about this at Baltimore Positive and was underwhelmed by the offseason. I think they could have done more. They should have done more. Uh, but that's not to say that there isn't still a lot to be excited about. And when when you look at the young players, I mean, even over the weekend and I caught a little bit of, of it on the radio, you know, you're hearing Jackson holiday playing in some spring, early spring games and some of these other names that uh, guys that we're going to see, you know, Jackson Holiday's still at least a, a year or two away. I mean, the kid's 19. Let's be clear about that. But when you look at some of the other guys that have played and we've seen them do some things in the early games, I mean, it's fun. Now it's not, front of mind because the games aren't on TV and it makes it more difficult, but there's still a lot to be excited about. And when you look at the upside, you know, with Rochman, with Gunnar Henderson, with guys that have been here, you know, the the, the Cedric Mullins and those guys that have been here now for a few years, uh, and and you look at the starting rotation, as much as I'd like it to have a higher ceiling, it has a much higher floor than it's had in in a long time. Uh, You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about this, Nestor, Think about someone like Bruce Zimmerman, who was kind of penciled in to be in the rotation a year ago. No one even talks about him anymore. And look, part of it's unfortunate because, you know, he just kind of had a lost 2022 season, but it does speak to how the pecking order has changed in guys that you were previously counting on by default. Now they're either just one of the one of the other guys that are competing or, you know, they've kind of fallen to the back of the pack. So, you know, there's still plenty to be excited about, Uh, you know, a little bit of early concern with the health of the bullpen with, you know, the news about Dylan Tate with his forearm, he's going to miss the first month of the season, you know, uh, Felix Bautista, they're bringing along a little slowly uh, based on some of the health concerns he had at the end of last year. But uh, by and large, there's still a lot to be excited about. And I will say this, and we'll get into this a little more as we get a chance to, you know, maybe you get a chance to even check out a game on MLB Network or or what have you. But some of the rule changes, the pitch clock, some of the, you know, the elements of the the, the shift and uh, limitations on pickoffs, the first base, and, you know, the bigger bases and all of that. The early returns of specifically with the pitch clock, faster games, you know, people who've watched, and I had a chance to watch, you know, just a, a brief portion of a game over the weekend on MLB Network, but seeing games that were previously three hours be two and a half hours, you know, that's, uh, you know, it, you kind of realize, or you, it kind of dawns on you that how slow the game has become in terms of time between pitches and, and that just getting progressively worse over the last 20 or 30 years. And now to see it being, you know, some, some effort to speed it back up and to see uh, a quicker pace, I think the early returns, even from some people that I saw on social media, some pundits who were kind of against the idea, you you got the sense that people enjoyed it. So, hey, it's one weekend of spring training games. That's a small sample. It's not the same stakes as when the season starts, but be interested to see how that all plays out. And uh, as much as I'm skeptical about some of the rule changes. I I do think there's a potential to make the game better. And ultimately, if you love baseball, we want the game to be better. You know, we want it to, we want it to grow. We want it to thrive, not to be something that becomes unappealing to people. So uh, that's where I look at this thing. And the early returns on the pitch clock, I'd say uh, without myself experiencing it a whole lot, but just briefly seeing uh, some of the early reviews seems to be a positive.
0: I mean, playing the game at a pace is something I've been talking about for 31 years on radio. So, sure. like, I, I, you know, I don't know what the, they can do other than to do this. Uh, and they've been years instituting it. Like, baseball is glacial pace at changing anything, as we all know around here. But, um, you know, it I, I, it has a lot of value, your opinion and your words about they could have and should have done more. You know, my wait and see for them, and I don't believe they have any competence at all competence. I have I have no confidence in their competence Um, that if the notion is on August 1st, they could make a play and deal into a twelve million dollar pitcher to rent or you use some of this, this, you know, these A the A and lower ball players that they would have that would be attractive. They're never going to want to give those kids away though. If they believe there's a ceiling or they believe they have them under control. I mean, that's the hardest thing in the world to do is to pull the trigger on those trades and say, I'm going to give the Dodgers three prospects for a pitcher or not the Dodgers. Cause they wouldn't deal out, but that, that you would want to do that. There's so much less of that going on now because of the value of the clock, they're not going to deal Jackson holiday for anything or anybody ever, no matter what.
1: Well, Jackson holiday is one thing, but if you're talking about guys that are well thought of, but not the cream of the crop, not the best of the best we know, and we've seen it. You see it every year, guys that are former top 100 or top 20 prospects around baseball. And then you see them flame out and they're traded three different times. Why? Because there are some, There's some confirmation bias that, hey, that guy was a first round pick. That means we can fix him. And that means he's really talented, even if there's been four years of evidence since then that suggests the guy isn't very good. There can be some of that. And that's not to say that I think that there are Orioles prospects that specifically that aren't going to work out. But, you know, of all the guys that are on the top 100 list right now that you're seeing around baseball, not all those guys are going to make it so you do get to a point where if the opportunity presents itself and you do have certain individuals that might be very highly thought of around the game, but your secret sauce, your your proprietary information, because he's your guy, you might know, you know what? We're not so sure that this is going to translate to him being a, a great ball player at the major league level. So you know what? Now is the time to deal with him to go get that pitcher or go get that bat. And, Can there be some of that? Absolutely, but I am in agreement with you. If you're talking about Jackson Holiday, you know, I mean, Gunnar Henderson's going to be in the opening day lineup. But if you're talking about those cream of the crop guys, yeah, you're not going to want to trade them. But they have a lot of depth now, and this farm system is still, you know, even having graduated Adley Rutschman is still one of the very best, if not the best, in baseball. So I I fully expect, and frankly, I hope. Because of what you just said, I don't know what payroll is going to look like. I think it will continue to go up, but it's going to be looks quite gradual based on what we've seen uh, this past offseason. So if you get to a point where you can trade a Colton Kowser, let's say, uh, to to go land that pitcher in July, if you are in great uh, a great spot to make the playoffs, then by all means, go do it. So and, and I think we'll see some of that because. Michael Elias was witness to the Astros having done that at different points. You know when when they were ascending and becoming, you know, what they've the all become. Cardinals that too, from time yeah. to time. So I mean that that's that's part of it. It's it's not just having a farm system of your own guys to play. It's having enough depth that yeah, you're gonna pick and choose which guys that you think are gonna graduate and be your next stars and be cheap, controllable talent for you. But it's also using that to go make a trade and you know, some, and sometimes it's prospect for prospect, but so, so many times when you're a contender, it's you go and trade uh, your number three prospect and your number 11 prospect to go get, you know, uh, whether it's a rental or whether it's a guy who has a a year or two left on his deal. And then the owner has to pony up
0: the $10 million and the 21 million Uh, that's still left on the contract. No
1: doubt. Right. No doubt. I I mean that those are parts, parts of the conversation. So we'll see how it plays out, but they certainly, are in a position from a a farm system standpoint that yes, you know, we get into July and they are right in the thick of it and they have a really good chance and, but they have a very specific need and the right deal comes along, then by all means pull the trigger on it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Uh, There's a lot of optimism. There are still some very legitimate questions that I have uh, about this team. and, And part of that is just, it's a young team. There could be some guys that there could be a little bit of regression. You know, we've heard sophomore slump, how many different times, uh, specifically, you hear it a lot in baseball. But, you know, that that said, you know, there's a, a lot to be excited about. And there's a lot of talent on this team. And, uh, you know, I'm not ready to say they're going to win 95 games or anything like that. But, uh, you know, especially with three wild cards, I, I do expect them to be competitive. And I expect them to be right in the thick of it. Uh, and as we hopefully find some answers to some of those questions about you know, pitching or, you know, uh, more consistency out of the offense, you know, whatever it might be, you know, you're, you're hoping uh, you get a clearer picture and uh, that this team has a, a great chance to get back to the postseason uh for the first time since 2016.
0: It is baseball season. Almost. It is uh, March madness. It's here. And uh, the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, Always in season uh, around here. You'll be at BaltimorePositive.com uh, and WNST AM fifteen seven. You can find Luke uh, out of Baltimore. Luke, he's out on all the social media places. I have become a little bit more active this week as we put the Maryland Crab Cake Tour back out on the road. We'll be at Drug City on Friday the 3rd, celebrating my dad's birthday with Calvin Statum. Uh, and on the 8th, uh, we'll be at Fadeley's down at Lexington Market. It's all brought to you by the Maryland Lottery in conjunction with our friends at Window Nation and taking it back out. I, I, you know, I've been away a little bit. I've been in, I've been out. We've been doing a lot of radio row stuff and a little bit of this and that, but I'm really looking forward to getting the crab cake mojo back together uh, and maybe even having a beer or two along with it. I am Nestor. We are WNST AM 1570 Towson, Baltimore, Terps, baseball, football, all sorts of things. We're Baltimore Stay with us.